Hey, my name is Chloe. I'm Stick with Chloe on Instagram and I love assessing uh, places for accessibility and creating content of them. You should stay close to home within 15 minutes drive or half an hour. That's the really tricky thing when it comes to travel. So I would always take a shot of red wine with like paracetamol my all my things. I would, it would really, it would work within half an hour. <laughs> Today's guest, Chloe Van Dalen, is a disability content creator, travel consultant, and inclusion consultant. It's a great conversation to have with Chloe today, particularly surrounding traveling with a disability, her experience of disability in festivals, and how to manage chronic pain and her best tips. I really do hope you enjoy this episode, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy. Welcome back to the Not Quite a Pod. Today we've got Chloe with us. Chloe, do you just want to quickly introduce yourself and let everyone know who you are and a bit about yourself? So, hey, my name is Chloe. I'm Stick with Chloe on Instagram and I love assessing uh, places for accessibility and creating content of them to highlight the places that are already accessible. And I specifically do this around hotels and festivals and, of course, traveling. Um, and from last week, I also worked as a model in an adaptive fashion show. So that was really cool. Uh, it was a great experience. And... Uh, I think, yeah, speaking I did this year about traveling. So it's been a really, yeah, many hats, but I love it. It's all around traveling and accessibility. And uh, yeah, and that's what I'm passionate about. It's awesome. I mean, uh, me and Chloe, we've spent a lot of time together. We've worked together on Open Book. We both got a massive love for travel. But where did your love for travel come from? So for me, it was really when I realized uh, I was two years so from my 17th until my 19th I was in a wheelchair with uh, my left leg in a metal frame sticking out um, and that made it mm. uh, pretty difficult to like go to a lot of places um, but I also realized even though I was maybe adaptive and um, the people at bars and places weren't necessarily so when they had to move a table you would get automatically a you know or the toilet was upstairs or downstairs and then in the end you realize you know with that age group also specifically you didn't really get included in a lot of stuff anymore and uh, it was really hard to find places that did have a wheelchair toilet so you got pretty isolated and I really remember thinking like okay if this wheelchair is going to stay in my life I really want to make places accessible that you know it doesn't matter if I'm standing or sitting I can always go and i yeah, I think that should be the case, you know, I, I'm an ambulant user now, so I can walk a little bit and still use the wheelchair. And I know I'm very lucky in that case, but I definitely didn't forget for the, for those years that I couldn't get out of it. And um, and how unclear it was to figure out where do they have a wheelchair toilet? Where do they not? Where is the toilet on the ground floor? Where is it not? You know, and, and that you're calling for, I don't know, two hours to find a location that actually fits. And yeah. also when it comes to yeah. hotels, it's sometimes a lot of calling, asking for pictures, asking for videos. So I'm like, okay, why don't I highlight the locations that are already accessible so it's easier for us to find? And, you know, the ones that put in the effort, let's reward them, you know, with some extra profit because they are inclusive and won't accept yeah. us, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I completely agree. That, like, that's something that often gets skipped over is that, like, what businesses need to realize that disabled people have got money to spend too. Like people seem to forget that we, a lot of us have jobs. A lot of us want to go out. A lot of us want to socialize and we want to be 
included in the community. And as you said, that's not always easy because of the barriers that like people put in place. I got one of my big bugbears, and I've said it a hundred times on the podcast is why does every nightclub have stairs? It doesn't need to. Why does it have stairs? No one like no no one complained about having to walk down a hill. Plus, as well, I argue most people in nightclubs have normally had a few jinks. They can't walk anyway, so it's just better for everyone involved for it to be round. That's what I was thinking. Because I was thinking stairs and drunken people. Meh. <laughs> I'll mm. be like, welcome to the disabled club when you fall down stairs. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, I agree with that, and it's like. Sometimes they they it's like they build in extra barriers where it's not necessary, and um, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I think and it's a pity because I think people with disability were very loyal customers. So when we find a location we like and people are actually also friendly, like uh, when we <laughs> towards us when we're there, we love coming back and we usually come with more than one person. So you you're really missing out, in my yep. opinion. Exactly. Like as well, like you say, when we find somewhere that is accessible, I think people skip over it. And it's amazing because a lot of the time, because we know it's there and we know how it works, we know that they've got the access. We'll keep going back because it's easy. The problem is people don't realize no one does stuff when it's difficult. Any customer doesn't want a difficult journey through the process, whether that be buying a new pair of shoes or going to your nightclub. No one wants it to be complicated. Everyone just wants it to be as straightforward as possible. Yeah, and then there's not only the accessibility. If you talk about nightclubs, I've had a few times that I really have to argue with the bouncer, like in the Netherlands at least, that I'm actually allowed to come in. You know, usually they say, oh, it's too busy for a wheelchair user. Maybe it's better if you stay on the terrace. And then the terrace had nothing to do, you know, than just looking through the window. Or with my walking stick, it was always like, oh, somebody can use it as a weapon to hit somebody else. Or... Oh, be, oh, you don't need it. You're too young to use it. You know, and then I always had to show my scar and things like that is also, I think, ridiculous that I always need to mm. kind of have like a mini trial to prove that I actually have a disability at my age before I can get yeah. in. Yeah. <laughs> and and um, that's very tiring. But then I think as well, I think part of that's though because you, you're an ambulatory, whereas with me, like, my thing is, like, they're like, how are you really disabled? So Gina literally just stands me up and I fall on the floor and they're like, oh, yeah, you literally can't walk. And I'm like, yeah, I can't, I can't do that. So I think as well, like, for, for you guys as ambulatories, it's so much more difficult because it just, people have the conception of if you're a wheelchair user, you've got to be a wheelchair user all the time when actually it's there as a tool. It doesn't mean that you have to use it all the time. Like there are so many different conditions that mean that they'll use a wheelchair one day, they'll use crutches the next, they won't use any the next. And it it, it just depends on how they feel that day. I mean, we haven't actually touched on what is your disability and like, how does it affect you? <laughs> is there a name for it? <laughs> so uh, do you want to know? <sighs> the, well, I guess so. It's 19 and a half years ago. It was a week before my 10th birthday. I had an accident. Um, I was, I don't know if you know, it's skelter, like one of those things that a kid can cycle in before wheels. Yeah, yeah. So there was a kid in there and another boy pushed that kid with the machine on purpose against my knee and my kneecap went out. And I put it back myself at the time. Yeah, he, his opinion was girls were not allowed to play in the playground and I was, we're not going anywhere. So, but... <laughs> I pushed my friend's sister aside, so I got the full hit, but that was also like, my kneecap went out, I put it back myself, 
they didn't believe mm. that in hospital that a kid my age was able to do that. So that was already struggle number one. And uh, that happened for three years with sports or wrong movement. And um, uh, since then, I've had seven knee surgeries. So in between that whole ordeal, uh, there was a mistake the hospital made. And because of that, I have areas where I have no cartilage at all and areas where I have like slim to none and holes behind my kneecap. Mm. Uh, so it's pretty painful. Yeah. So it's like chronic pain as well. So it's like I can do, I think now, 15 minutes with a walking stick, but then I have to sit down for 15 minutes with my leg up as well. Two crutches, I could do 20 minutes, sometimes 25, but then I really have to put my leg up after that. And outside that, I'm in the wheelchair. So that has really fluctuated yeah. over the years. I did have a few years that I could just do the walking stick and the brace. Um, but because, of course, like yeah. it's, there is already no cartilage and bone and bone, I started leaning to my good size that, uh, side that one couldn't handle that anymore. So, you know, you get like a spiral effect. So I think it's a combination of chronic pain and chronic fatigue because my energy definitely has gone down over the years because um, mm. my stubbornness again, I don't, uh, I refuse to take a lot of heavy painkillers. I'm trying to get used to it because of all the side effects that I first realized yeah. of it. You know, I now have a list of yep. things I'm allergic to because I've had so many surgeries. And um, yeah, wow. and because I grew up uh, in the Netherlands mainly, uh, you're not allowed a new knee before you're 45. Uh, so yeah. until then, I'm kind of waiting or waiting for new technology. Um, to, yeah, so hopefully something that can gener regenerate cartilage or put something new in there. Um, but even if they put something new, they said that so many nerves are damaged, like the pain would still stay, stay to a certain degree. Um, but it definitely made me creative. I mean, I love my walking sticks. I have them in more than 10 different colors. I was like, some yep. people collect bags. I collect walking sticks. And now I have a bright green uh, wheelchair. So, you know, I do like adding a pop of color. Definitely. I mean, yeah, you do love a bit <laughs> of color. It's really interesting you said about the chronic pain. And one question I did want to ask, because I've never actually asked you it, and I know people are going to go down the cliche route. You're asking her that just because she lives in Holland. No, <laughs> I'm not. There is method in my madness. Have you ever um, considered looking for yeah. your pain relief if you ever look, considered looking at cbd so i've uh something i bought in the caribbean i haven't been able to find it here is a cbd gel mm. and that really relieves my pain okay. but i only use a little bit of it because i can't buy it here um i don't know if they have it in the uk but i've only i found it in the dutch caribbean and it's it's really strong so it really goes kind of numbs your muscles <laughs> the feeling <laughs> so, and it smells yeah. like mint it smells amazing but uh, that really helps my pain but I only use it when it's like really necessary and for the rest I actually don't when uh, I yeah. was in the hospital so I'm allergic to morphine uh, they did suggest giving oh. me uh, yeah having me smoke um, medical marijuana so that I yeah. wouldn't feel the pain um, I said yeah. no to that but I did have a short while that I would like do should I say, three to five to six plus before I went to sleep, like White Widow. 
Yeah. <laughs> because it made me like fall. Quite the strong stuff as well. <laughs> yeah, because like I guess my my body has like a tolerance. So now I only sometimes take paracetamol, yeah. typical Dutch thing. But outside that, because I'm also allergic yeah. to morphine, I did to get tramadol for a while. But um, they all advised me to like get off it as quick as possible because that has a lot of side effects. Yeah. But that I once um, by accidentally took too close to Bacardi Cola and um, best feeling in the world. I didn't feel any pain. It was like floating. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't, don't, don't do that at home, guys. It's not healthy, probably. <laughs> but <laughs> that, I yeah, think... Probably not the best. <laughs> no, probably but the... it was the first ever years. I was like, oh my God, no pain. It was so weird. It was, yeah, really weird mm. and nice. So... And, and I think... With like the, the the pain thing, somebody actually asked me like a while back. Um, I think because I've had it for so many years, I'm now at the point I would find it weird if I wouldn't feel any pain at all. I can't remember it anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I and yeah, that is it's all. I guess it's in the back of your mind. You suppress it, but it's also I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I can't. I can't remember any anything yeah. without any anymore. It's um, it's interesting. Like the only reason I say about the CBD is because I'm a massive advocate for it. I have taken it for quite a while now, and it helps me massively with my spasms and cramps. And it also just helps me one with my underlying anxiety like, as well. So like, I was just curious to see whether whether you'd considered it. Like oil smoking. Yeah. So like instead of so you were talking about the oil, the oil that you put in your leg, they do actually do that here in the UK. It's not as easy to find, mm. but I use the um, oral oil. So you drop like two pipettes of it onto your tongue each day um, and it basically slowly builds into your um, system. So like you have to take it sort of for about a week to two weeks before you start feeling any effects. Now, I've heard mixed reviews. Some people say it doesn't do anything for them. I I, I say it's helped me massively with my mm. sleep, with my pain, and with, like, just in general. But, yeah, it's just interesting. It's uh, one thing I wanted to sort of see whether you'd played with, because I wondered, obviously, we'd spoken when I came over to Holland whether you'd considered medical marijuana. But, yeah, it's interesting. I know, you guys think, oh, Zaxi's really... smoking every day, all day. <laughs> no, that wasn't what I was saying. That wasn't what I was saying. <laughs> I, think, I think outside the Netherlands, Although, they use it more than, like, maybe it's because it's so le yeah, legal. Or yeah, but, yeah, that is, that is exactly why people will do what they... It's like, if you say to a child, don't do that, they're going to do it. Whereas if you say to a child, go on, do it, they're like... You sure? Are you, are you sure I'm allowed to? Um, but no, the only reason I ask because obviously we've spoke quite a lot about chronic mm. pain, and um, as I say, being allergic to morphine, it must be really, really tricky. Yeah, really tricky. Like the tramadol. I think. What, what would be your? Uh, sorry, go on. The, what you say? I think tramadol is like the only option they can give me, and that one I don't mind. To be fair. Um, but like mm. and now a lot of uh, for me, so also during one of my surgeries, um, so I, I became allergic to soya and now they use that as a binding. Wow. Um, they use that flower now in a lot of medication to create the medication. So I kept on throwing up yep. and they couldn't figure out why they thought it was the medication. It ended up being soya and I wasn't able to eat for like three months. It took me 45 minutes to eat Whoa. two crackers with just a little bit of butter, gluten-free. And that was like a horrible wow. experience. 
Um, yeah. But that, I guess, also put, like, the, and that on top of the morphine allergy that they gave by accident, it was that. So I'm, like, trying yeah, a lot no. of things. If it has a lot of lists or side effects, I, I'd rather not try it because of it. They pumped so much shit into yeah. my system already. Like, when people say, oh, yeah, do you want to yeah, try yeah. drugs? I'm like, nah, the hospital's done all that with me. No, thank you. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I I I have the I am the worst when it comes to taking like kids kids don't listen to me when it comes to taking medication. I am the worst. <laughs> the amount of times I've taken like I've been in a bar somewhere and my legs hurting, so I've gone to gone grab painkillers and just taken it with my beer and carried on, <laughs> and it's the worst thing you could possibly do. But oh. it's just because, but it doesn't have like people go, oh, it must have like a massive effect on you, and I'm like. No, I think it's because well, maybe you get us disabled folk. We take quite a lot of medication. Yeah, I yeah, mean, maybe, maybe. I mean, it's a side benefit, but what actually? Oh, I actually did have one doctor for a while. I actually, I, I was allowed to go and get a little bottle of red wine during school for this. Um, so, <laughs> a Chinese doctor. She said, if I take red wine with, with like um, pain medication, it goes quicker into your bloodstream. So I would always take a shot of red wine with like paracetamol on my all my things. I would, it would really it would work within <laughs> half an hour. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> that's great. So I, I all of the dutchy doctors don't, don't tell you. I mean, I'm more pro nice cocktail than than having a joint because I fall asleep from it. So for me, um, yes, and yeah. I am guilty of sometimes done like a baco, Bacardi cola with. Uh, paracetamol just works quicker i may be a little bit more happy or cuddly but <laughs> i mean it it works quicker yeah yeah on a on a bit more of a serious note what would be your advice for someone like a uh, a young person with chronic pain say that it's a new diagnosis what would be your advice mm. for them for chronic pain well, like i said no. yeah um well so I, to be honest, so I had one surgery um, where the what I would honestly never, never advise to anybody because it's so horrifically painful. Um, so that the I don't know the name for it, but it's with a, a metal tube they scrape on your bone to ask which point is the most painfulest, and that one they freeze to. Uh, minus I think 200 degrees or something and it did work to be fair it numbs and so it numbs your nerves so that you're you're so you're faking your body uh so that it doesn't feel the pain anymore and that's actually the reason I was able to learn to walk again so yes that did help for a short term but um at nightmares still still to after that you know it was so so painful and um I wouldn't like if you have other options uh, that, that freezing method, method, I wouldn't advise doing it um, because the treatments you need afterwards yeah. to forget is just. Mm. Uh, but oh, so depending on how mind strong you are, uh, that you don't become an alcoholic. I think once in a while, <laughs> just uh, a little red wine or a cocktail to numb the pain works the best. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that's. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's really tricky. Swimming Obviously, in I, water. I don't have chronic pain, but like. Yeah, I don't. What, know. Sorry, what was that? I think swimming in, in water. Um, like, so swimming in water. So for me, 
so so my knee gets really stiff because I have a lot of scar tissue that also grew yeah. stuck. So yeah, whole long story there. But for me, when I used to practice the, the movement in my leg, I would just go to a swimming pool that's like um like where you could stand so it wouldn't cover you fully and just walk the side and walk up and down yeah. or just move my legs slowly like this and because the the water carries your weight it was less painful and i think um heating lamps or if you're able to go once or twice a year to the sun or what i did and this is maybe comfortable for some people the lowest level of uh, sunbed every 3 months uh, no more than 10 minutes that would warm up all my muscles and make them less stiff. I did do that for a while as well because I realized it really helps with the lessening the pain for me. Um, and I really mm. noticed that I now haven't done it for a while that my muscles really have got a bit stiffer. So, yeah, yeah. I think a combination. And I think you really have to find um, a hobby you enjoy. So because in the end, you you do find some, you'll always find some kind of distraction. So for, for you, if it's maybe cooking or doing a sport or watching a series, you know, it can be anything that can relieve you from that moment or create some kind of happiness that, that makes you forget about the pain. Um, yeah. So, yeah, definitely find what makes you happy and you know, even if, if for you means happiness sitting on the couch for half an hour, do that. Um, for me, that was something I had to learn to plan into my schedule because I used to feel guilty about just sitting on the couch and doing nothing. Uh, so I would plan two evenings a night. I actually had to do that for my revalidation uh, to do nothing and just watch a series and not grab my phone, not grab my laptop, you know, not feel guilty about it. Just have uh, two evenings a week for myself and I was very used to you know that then people oh you're being lazy because you're not doing anything you're sitting on the couch with your legs up you know and uh, yeah yeah I think that's something I'm going to jump into because I think that's something that affects everyone which is this whole concept of particularly you and myself are both fairly entrepreneurial both always on the go both doing something and there's something to be said for like allowing yourself time to recharge because i think in in the entrepreneurial space content creator space it's, it's all about like go 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 and no one talks about the fact that it's okay to rest and it's like anything as a as a gym head myself if you keep going to the gym every day and you keep trying to go as hard as you can you're going to injure yourself and it's the same thing when it comes to managing social media and managing things like that something to be said about going like pushing yourself all the time and there's something to be said particularly for us as disabled creators and disabled entrepreneurs unfortunately you've got to consider your own like needs and what you're going to need support with like for me personally like if i keep pushing and pushing i'm just going to end up tired which then means i can't do my basic tasks like getting changed Things like that get a lot more difficult. So I think there's something to be said of just giving yourself the time to recharge. And like you say, booking it into your schedule is something that even I'm toying with, like not toying with. I, it's something that I try and do. But I, I, the worst thing is I'm saying this and I am, I'm still learning this myself. I am the worst for taking on too much stuff. But then it's also about keeping yourself up to speed and keeping yourself in, in the best shape that you can be, both mentally and physically, to be able to 
do what you want to do. Yeah, I think but there's there's like a combination. So I would have the evenings that you're really not allowed to do anything, but I would also have two afternoons that were my my rest time. But I can also choose mm. to do things last minute within the afternoon that I enjoy. Maybe an assignment and maybe go and have lunch with a friend or go out to eat. As long as it's something that I enjoy and that I do last minute. And I think <laughs> you'll probably recognize this. Um, uh, I do a lot of things last minute. But then I once explained to a friend that doesn't yeah. have a disability, the actual reason that I do this is because sometimes at the end of the day, I don't know how much energy I have left. So I rather see if I have energy left last minute to do something than have to cancel. And sometimes I do yeah. still go, yeah, I'm going to do that. And then afterwards I'm like, shit, why, why, why did I say that I was going to do that? Um, <laughs> but it's, yeah, because I enjoy it. But, um, but that is usually why I do stuff last minute um, a, a lot of the time because I, I have – I have like yeah. I guess two schedules. I have one with big events that are fixed, and everything around that I'm like everything's movable. I always ask, you know, even if it's an appointment, I'll ask a person if they can move it if if something else comes up, and if they say no, it's a no. If it's a yes, yeah. you can move it. But then I always like, well, why do you ask to move? I said, oh, I can always ask, and if I can, then I can, you know, maybe the bricks fit right on top of each other, and <laughs> I can do everything I want. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's that whole thing of you don't ask, you don't get. But then I think as well, like, I mean, don't get me wrong. Uh, Chloe is last minute and then some, like, one of my favourite things that Chloe always does to me whenever she comes over to the UK is she'll go to me, oh, can we go to, like, she'll be over for the weekend and she would have booked it a couple of days before. And Chloe always goes to me, can we go to a festival? Can we get a last minute ticket to it? And I'm like, Chloe, that's not how British festivals work. Like... As particularly like the bigger festivals, the bigger festivals, like you have to book them things like a year in advance because tickets yeah, go don't you have like that. Swap with something? No, because they're all accessible. You have to get the accessible tickets. Like, yeah, that's. Oh. <laughs> so there's a limited amount so, of, there you go. of accessible tickets. But wouldn't there be more left of those yeah. last minute? <laughs> No, because people, because there's not like people, yeah. Yeah, okay, fair. Because people, like any, like people with disabilities plan normally. They plan quite, quite a lot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, not, to, not to call you an outstander <laughs> there, Chloe, but yeah. Combination of, but that actually. Um, so I've only had that. So only for the Formula One, I know there are a specific amount of tickets for disabled people in the Netherlands, but for festivals, they have. They still have like uh, the normal tickets, so you can buy them through an organisation that that organises like the decks and everything. But there isn't a limit to it because it's the same ticket as a normal ticket. You just, I guess, get an extra wristband showing that you had need assistance. So maybe that's why. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm like, yeah, why not just spontaneous last minute? <laughs> because that is, you know, yeah. But. <laughs> But talking about festivals, I know you've done quite a lot of work with festival companies. How did that all come about? Because I know you've spoken to me about it, about doing it over here. How did like how did you start? That? 
so I rolled in my accident. So um, I always have this thing. <laughs> Once a year, I have to do something outside my comfort zone. Uh, so that year, mm-hmm. I've always wanted to go to festivals, but I never really had the guts to go because, like, so in the Netherlands, it's always summer in the field, but you don't know what the weather's going to be like. So I was like, oh, what if I get stuck with my tires in the mud or in the sand? How does it look? And these were always all questions I had because I thought I'm not going to spend 80 euros, sometimes mm. 100 or 60 euros for a festival if I don't know if I can go there. I know I'm very lucky that I can get into yep. a normal toilet, but it's even another level if you don't know if there are any wheelchair toilets or not. And um, so some things you can find on the website, but I realized a lot of information you can't find on the website and they're happy to answer yeah. it but then i'm like okay why can't we make this a standard i'm trying to do but um, but then i did this they were looking for people with a disability to flog at, at festivals and um mm-hmm. so i think that was also around the beginning of open book that we met each other so i used to always yep. prefer uh, work in the background i didn't always necessarily like being in front of the camera Uh, so that was my yep. uh, thing coming outside of my comfort zone. So I went there to, to do this audition for vlogging. It was the year before COVID, yeah. And um, so they love my bubbly self, you know, I'm very chatty. And then this lady said, hey, would you maybe like to work part-time at a festival? Because I also brought that up, you know. People that sit behind the desk, you mm. know, to, to give the coins or scan the tickets, I'm like, you could do that in a wheelchair as well. Yep. I would love to like see part-time people with a disability actually also be able to get a side job at festivals. And she loved that idea. And then she was like, oh, would you then want to you know, work for the summer at a festival? I said, I would love that. But then if I'm going to do that, I also want to be able to assess the festival and actually give advice how they can improve that. And then she says, otherwise I don't want to do it. And then she agreed with me. And uh, and that's how I that year I did three or four in one summer and then they really liked my report and a year after I did it again and you know I really measure everything up I went down to even making a, a, a mock-up bar in my own living room to show them what the correct height were <laughs> height was and what the, the bad heights were yeah wow. I did all the bars that I have measured up I did put them all in my living room Jesus. yeah I know sometimes I can get precise but I thought it was really good to show I would also even yeah. I would have my pictures sitting and standing <laughs> so that you could show the difference that somebody standing could still get their drink at the bar and I had even because that was one of the arguments oh Oh, it would be too low, it would be annoying for people to order drinks. And I ended up asking people at festivals as well, like, would you mind if the bar would be like um, three inches lower? And he was like, no, why, why would I care? So I was thinking, okay, so if they have no problem with having a lower bar, then I can at least look the person in the eye because I realized a lot of bars were too high, so they couldn't see me when I wanted to order something. Mm. And also, if I would want to yeah. uh, grab the drink, you know, I would tip it over myself because it was too high. And so these are, it may yeah. sound like really simple, but I know these are a lot of little things that we then do look at. Like, I mean, it's lovely sometimes that volunteers that would get drinks for us, but sometimes you also want to get drinks yourself or get your own food. And um, yep. so I would yeah, look yeah. from top to top to toe, like the walkways, the toilets, the, the lockers, um, They have like, you can get your own coins with like a machine, but then they were all too high. I couldn't even reach it. And they were like, oh yeah, I didn't think about that. Yep. So 
um, yeah, I think it was really cool. And then I ended up doing that every time I came back. And then next to that, I ended up also creating then the content because, you know, they were like, oh, we can create content. But I'm like, yeah, we should show somebody with a disability within the content. Because for me, that would take already a whole level of stress away. Because otherwise, I'm still going to wonder, has somebody without a disability tested this or has somebody with a disability tested this? And of course, I can still maybe um, see things different than somebody else with a different disability because there are so many. But that's mm. why I think it's so important to literally give the information also like in measurements so that you can decide for yourself if you can go or not. Because we're always it's always decided for us that we can't go. But I think we should if you give the correct information, we can decide for ourselves if we would be able to get in there in the wheel with our personal wheelchair or not, or with a walking stick or a rollator and that kind of stuff. Mm. And I think even I know that goes really down into details, but I would love them to even mention if they don't have an issue with a rollator or a scoop mobile or a walking stick, because I've had once before I had a, a ticket for a concert and they came with my walking stick and they wouldn't let me in because they said my walking stick was a, was a weapon. And I st still, I even had a ticket, you know, and I was with a group of friends and then I was really lucky that I had my rollator in the back, but then I had to, I was not allowed to stand in the standing area. I don't know how it's in the UK, but mm. I had to stand by myself or sit by myself on the platform. And once in a while, one of the eight group of friends was allowed to come and visit me. And I think there should be, the, the, there are ways around this. I always have so many ideas, even when it comes down to concert halls, how you can redesign stuff. And I mean, I, I love, for me, I love puzzles. So for me, I love finding a way to like, I, I don't believe in a no. There's always a way of adapting it, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you can always change it and um yeah that's how I, I rolled into it and I think I was really lucky through word of mouth I got asked back every time with the same organization and um but yeah I hope to expand it more uh, next year as well or even go outside the Netherlands because yeah I think it's very important and you know what I also think is important that countries should take people with a disability serious that it's not just something we do always voluntarily uh, or free we should be paid yeah. for our work because in the end they take our advice and they make money off it they implement it and they pay the able people yeah, yeah. but why is it an issue to pay us so that's also something uh, the first year of course I was trying out I was willing to do everything you know if I got everything free I was happy but after that I was like yeah you know if you want me back and you now see the value you also have to pay me for it and it's especially when I found out yeah they were paying the able-bodied people, but they weren't paying the people with a disability at that at, at this specific company. And I found out, and um, I called them out on it. And I said, you know, unless you pay me, and these other girls that were working will be working that season as well. I said, I'm not going ahead. And I think, but that is a constant sh struggle. I think that we like keep on coming against yeah. because they expect you to do it cheaper, or they expect you to to do it for free and definitely if the cause is good I'm willing to negotiate most of the time because I know it helps more people but even with that I've gotten to a point that I you find out the hard way that sometimes they're just lying to get it as cheap as possible yeah. and that then hurts yeah, yeah. you know
I think the other issue you got that the other issue you've got with when it comes to brands and disabilities is there's almost an element of like tokenism. So it's like, oh, we need to do something around disability. Okay, well we'll get Chloe in to do this thing, and then it won't actually go anywhere, and it's not actually what would be useful to the community. It's just, oh, we can tick that box on our website. And coming back to something you said earlier of like a lot. Um, companies being more forthright with their information and making sure that they're up their websites say whether they support dis, um support different disabilities and stuff and i think the difficulty there is one every disability is different everyone's different everyone's view on support for disabilities is very different but like you say i think the thing they miss out on is the fact that you've got some people like myself will always i'll always phone up i'll always chase i'll always ask the question where some people can't be bothered yeah some people will go, I can't be bothered to do that. I don't want to go. And that way, companies lose out on money. So people don't realize that I can understand, some people, some disabled people. after a while, you get tired. Yeah. You don't want to do that every time. And yeah. I, I've had a few times you get an answer. Yeah, they just say, yes, it's accessible. And that's all you get. Nothing else. If you ask yeah. more questions, they don't even answer you anymore. So, and, and then that yeah. takes, yeah, it doesn't really give you the confidence to go. Uh, or you, yeah, or you have to live mm -hmm. nearby that you think, okay, I'll just try. And usually you end up asking people, you know, have you been there before? But I think especially the first year, uh, so yeah, four years ago, I found out like a lot of them all said, yeah, but people with disability don't want to go to festivals anyway. They don't want to go. They're not interested. And I <laughs> kept on hearing that. And that pissed me off so much. I still I hear it also when I go out. Like, oh, but people like you don't come anyway. But I'm like, this is the reason. It's not that we don't want to go. It's not clear enough how accessible it is. And or it's not accessible at all. So, you know, and like you said, yes, they are missing out on money because I mean, a lot of people would love to go out. And especially if it's near where they live. And and I think it's. That's why I may, a lot of people may maybe think it's a weird combination, assessing hotels and festivals. But if a festival is further away and I'm going to go a whole day, I have to book a hotel to stay over because I don't have enough energy to drive back home. So for me, it's mm. also very important to know, is there a hotel yeah. nearby that is accessible where I can get ready with my friends? Or if my friends want to go all day and I just want to have a power nap in between, that I can go to the hotel rest and come back later in the evening and join them later if it's close enough you know that those are things that i don't look at and think yeah, about and i think yeah. there hotels and festivals are missing out i mean imagine what kind of cool pack packages you kind of design like a festival weekend you know hotel festival included all inclusive you know i mean i think if you if yeah. you say it on time people will line up and this is also definitely one mistake that they made multiple times is that they said um they would put it up half a month in advance, accessible tickets. And I said, you know, so for am ambulant people that or no, for people without a disability, you already do it nearly a year in advance, I think. And then you're going to give us yeah. half a month. Well, we have to figure out if somebody can go with us. We have to arrange a special car or a taxi figure out where we can stay. That means the hotel prices have gone up. I don't know how much because it's just really last minute. And those are things I just don't think about. So that's also what I've given that feedback. I think, you know, there's a minimum amount of months you have to let everybody know beforehand so that we can plan as well. So that's why I yeah. think 
Somebody with a disability should be at the design table once they start designing the, the playground, <laughs> the festival ground, you know, the website design, the ticket design. We should be there. And also when it comes down to um, the platforms, the map, sorry, <laughs> when it comes down to I the map. Well. <laughs> I think as well, the other thing that's really interesting is it seems that our... Like the UK's system when it comes to festivals is, from my experience, a lot better. Like they have a lot more offerings for people with disabilities. But then it does come back to what I always bring up on this podcast, which is that a lot of the disabled community, they're never happy. Like no matter what a company does, they're never happy. So like, for for example, I remember a load of people went to, a load of people with dis- disabilities I saw on social media went to Glastonbury. Mm. Massive UK festival, oh. huge, like lot of fun. On my wish list. I had one <laughs> or two or three create, <laughs> two or three creators went and they loved it. They had a great time. They said the accessibility was great. And then three or four creators absolutely hated it. Said it was the worst, worst planned thing they'd ever been to. X Y Z. And the thing is, I think it all comes down to what expectation have you set. Like, is your expectation to never have a, to for the event to have no issues, no difficulties, no nothing, or is it to be as included as possible? Like, I know full well if I go to a festival, nine times out of ten, I'm going to be in a field. So wheelchair wise, it's probably not going to be great. It's probably going to be a bit iffy. If it's rained a few days before, it's going to be muddy. But it, yeah, kind of have to go possible. with what you got. Like, it's. It is what it is. Like, and I think that's the biggest challenge for brands because they'll do something that's actually really inclusive. But then on the other hand, the community yeah. rip, rip the carpet out from underneath them. And it's like, allow people to make mistakes. I don't understand why people are so so fixated on, oh, no, it's got to be perfect first time. But that, no, that's definitely true. I think my approach is then different because... Um, I always try to show it in like the positive side and I believe in showing things like in a positive way, but I do always say, I'm not going to say it's rainbows and butterflies if that's not the case. But you know, what I have realized with a lot of festivals, so they don't mind me sharing the experience of how it is, but I tell them behind the screen, all the things they could improve. And of course I still say it in, I believe there's always a way that you can still say it in a nice or polite way. I don't think you should bite people's head off straight away because I'm already happy that they're then willing to set a step to figure out how accessible are they. That's what I, because the first year I always check, okay, how accessible are they? And then I see what can they improve for the year after. And that's how I actually kind of roll into it. So you're like a mystery guest and then you improve it. Um, but I think that's also the luck and that I'm an ambulant user that I, I can look at it from more a different perspectives but I definitely not going to be perfect in one go and I think they're never going to be perfect because there are so many different kinds of disabilities but I do think there's a difference in how they react when you do give them feedback if it's yeah, yeah that can make a difference. But, I don't think that but yeah, like you said, if you go there and you really expect everything's going to be perfect, I think you're not being realistic. And it's a really nice idea, yeah, but I don't I think that. And you're also the, not being fair to the organisation because they are still learning. That they put yeah. down on the on the ground. I don't know if they do the same here. 
Yeah, I, I spoke with one of the, the builders. You know, I don't know if you have that he festival was telling the, me the steel slabs that they take down the on the, the ground. How many are going to on one truck because of the weight and all the effort that goes in? And but, you know, he it, was telling me it how many hours it takes to lay the and how many you can only but, put on one um, truck because of we the should also take in consideration for the ones that do and, it you know, the it's, it does take it them does a lot of time and most of the time, time and the I'm companies themselves um, but, put in um, a lot of money or we should also take in consideration for the give the products or a lot of time and most of the time the companies themselves they don't always get to support in a lot of money or the government I think should have voluntarily give them um, the, because the I think they should be also putting a fund so, towards making um, places more They don't accessible. always get the support from the council and or the government, what I think should happen. Yeah, um, I think cool. because I a think lot they should be also up until now that I know they are very open to feedback. Um, but, you know, say it in in a nice yeah, way, I and I know sometimes it can be very annoying. And now of course, but if they're pretty rude and insulting you, go um, ahead and insult. But, you know, <laughs> you know say it be firm. I think nice if way. it's and I know sometimes um, it can be very annoying. And for a lot of people, but if they're pretty rude that and insulting don't know anybody with a disability or don't have a disability, <laughs> you know, this entire firm, world. Is I think new for it's it's absolutely new. And what I found out by. That you know, ask don't know questions in restaurants and hotels and festivals. It's not always that they don't want to make places accessible. It's just they don't know how. And I don't know where to ask. And of course, some people can say, oh, they can Google it. But even that is also sometimes a maze. So if they are finally willing to listen... And I think we should find a middle ground in like saying, it, okay, this is what you can improve now. This is what you could so improve in the future to make it accessible to this level. Make clear that it's accessible to this level so that other people with disability won't get disappointed when they get there if they do need more accessibility. Like for people that are more mobile, they'll need less than for the people that are less mobile. And also for, of course, a lot of festivals that just step into this, they'll probably start with the demographic for people that are less mobile or like ambulance, probably, um, before they really go. They'll probably start with the demographic for people that are less mobile or like ambulance, probably. So what I usually say to festival organizations when I go there and do flogging for accessibility, I say, I'm not going to say it's rainbow and unicorns if it's not the case. You know, I'm willing to show the good things and show my experience, but I'm not going to say it's all perfect when it's not that. And I do give them feedback, but usually what most festivals then want, they want to have the feedback off camera. So they rather you give them a document what they can improve afterwards than actually saying it on camera and shaming them in that way. But yeah. I can kind of understand because you don't want to have that kind of backlash. And I think that's what a lot of uh, festival organizations are scared of. And I think that's also why they're sometimes scared of hiring people with a disability in front of the camera. Because first, and I thought it was ridiculous, you know, they wanted to check every video that I made. Even though it was then we wanted to do like a story, I had to first download it, then send it so that they could check it. Because they were so scared that I would say something like, oh, my God, this ramp is way too steep is horrible why did they do this they were so worried that they would really get 
had a headbit off. <laughs> yeah. So uh, they, they wanted to double check every little thing. And I think in the end, they started to realize like, okay, no, I, I found a, um, a middle ground. Of course, once I did show that, uh, what they could improve and I try to say it in a positive way but then it's really different per organizer if they appreciate it or not and um, but I think there's nothing wrong with saying you know for example there was a wheelchair toilet uh, that only had um, a handlebar on one side and I said it would have been better if you had it on both sides because some people need the support on both sides you know um, if they appreciate you saying that on camera or not I don't think it's too bad to say something like that for an example um mm. Because I definitely think if you're doing it for the first time, there are always going to be little things you can improve. And uh, what I've really found out is by asking restaurants, hotels and festivals is not always that they don't want to make places accessible. They just don't know how or who to ask because yeah. a lot of these people, they don't have a disability themselves. They don't know anybody with a disability. So they're really clueless like where do we begin? That's what I realized the most by talking with festival organizers. They just have no clue where to begin, who to call up. Um, they're so worried they're going to do it wrong, like you said. But, yeah, yeah, they also don't know what what equipment do we need, you know? <laughs> what are we supposed to look at? And it's, for us, it seems so obvious. But for them, yeah, it's a whole new world. Yeah, completely. And uh, I think it's about not as we said not expecting people to get things right first time and giving giving companies space to get things wrong and giving people time to grow because every organization isn't going to get it right first time as we said and it's it's the frustration with sometimes i think that's how we isolate the able-bodied community is because they don't know where to start and they feel almost like they're treading on eggshells mm. and i do think of course, because there are so many different disabilities, when festivals will start out, they may start with the easier things. So that will mainly be accessible for ambulant users or people that can do a little bit more themselves than, and instead of electric wheelchairs, for example. So I think yeah. there's, most of them will choose to, to go gradually instead of in one go. Um, yeah. And I know that can be frustrating for many people, maybe, but... It's just sometimes for them also comes with the budget and finding the right equipment. Yeah. But um, they're, they're trying. And I think I'm a re really happy if I, like every year I see a little bit of improvements. And then when you see like, when you gave the feedback and you go to the festival the next year and you s recognize that they read your, your document and they did it. I mean, that's the best feeling. And then yeah. when people come to you and they said, I got so many messages of people like, oh, I hadn't been to a festival in years and I finally went and, you know, I really enjoyed it. I mean, that makes me so happy because that's like my main point is I want to get people out there into the world. People with a disability, I want to get them out there because we're always taught like um, we don't want to enjoy life. You know, we don't want to go out. We don't want to travel. We don't, we do that. And we're taught that, but it's, we don't even get to decide or even question. Maybe I, w I do want to go, you know, yeah. and I want to let people, younger people know or older people that, you know, you are allowed to question that you are allowed to say, Hey, actually I also want to go, or actually I also want to yeah, give that yeah. a try. And I think it will help with isolation, loneliness. I think I've spoke with a lot of younger younger people. I think it even yeah leads to depression um, for a lot. 
because you yeah you're not included and i think yeah. by making social places more accessible you're fighting that as well and that's something that i find very important completely agree coming on to just just changing direction a little bit um what made you get into like doing the travel stuff that you do obviously we both love a bit of travel but what made you start doing the reviews when it comes to that side of things or the reviews um ah yeah so uh so i've pretty much always had crutches or a walking stick since i was 10 mm-hmm. um but i remember so in the beginning i used to actually hide my walking stick i would get up and then make the picture you know and put it behind me yeah. and uh, i always liked traveling in general um because my father worked for an international company and we had people from around the world that would visit. And then, you know, he would go or go visit them or like both my grandparents lived in different countries. So we would go there and uh, then you always meet new people. And I was like, oh, I would love to visit them again and find out what their local spots were. So then I had to do a little bit more research of, of, of the, the area, but I never realized that it was necessarily I guess so special in a way that I just did everything with my crutches or my or my walking stick. You know, I thought, you know, I have it, mm. you know, it's going with me. And um, and then some of my friends said, yeah, but Chloe, you know, actually for a lot of people, it would be um, really good to see maybe that, you know, somebody with crutches or a wheelchair and rollator actually also uh, goes and travels. So they were really impressed yeah. how I always found a way to do things. And um, I guess I was also going through the journey of like fully accepting. And I, I had like my yeah. my nickname is Cookie <laughs> since a kid. And I used to have my Instagram Cookie Smile where I, I shared everything. And then this one time I um, put this picture on there with crutches in, in Germany where they had these pink cherry blossom cheese. And mm. this old classmate from lower school from my village said, Oh, what a great picture. It's pity from the sticks. And that really hurt my feelings. And I was thinking, and I realized every time when I traveled and I came back to my village, everybody was like, oh, you still have those sticks? Or are you still in the wheelchair? It's still not fixed. Every time I had to hear this. And then I thought, you know, I'm going to make a different Instagram. And I made Stick with Chloe. And I got so many questions from people like, oh, have you been to that country? Have you been there? Have you been there? And I ended up sharing it. And I thought, and I loved the interaction I was getting from it and, and hearing that people got the courage to go somewhere because they saw I had also gone there. And then, um, yeah, realizing, oh, maybe I should show it a little bit more often that I'm going with my rollator or with my crutches or with my wheelchair to give other people the confidence. Because I definitely think when I was younger, I missed, I always thought I was the only person with a walking stick. I didn't see anybody. Uh, my aged or mixed and curly hair that had yeah. like uh, yeah all these mobility products like I have my collection <laughs> and um, yeah and then I, th- I think Instagram definitely helped me in that way that there was a whole disability community outside the Netherlands that um, well usually I got put in in the Netherlands when you got to put into groups if you want to do traveling or any sports they usually said I wasn't disabled enough, so I wasn't allowed to join. Or if then they did, right. I I was put in with people that were heavily mentally disabled. Yeah. And um, 
And I also wanted somebody that I could also just chat with my own age and could travel. That's actually how I met Tirza because we both wanted to do that. We met on Instagram. And I ended up chatting with so many people around the world that had different disabilities, just like me, and they also like to travel. And we'd also get there, go out there, and we exchange like, oh, what's your favorite restaurants and where do you like to go? And unknowingly, I realized I've <laughs> been to a lot of places. <laughs> and... Um, I still haven't shared everything, I think, uh, because I always thought I can only share it when I was there. I'm trying to unlearn that. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a bit long-winded, but um, no, it's traveling rough. makes me happy. I think when I go somewhere and I travel, I realize sometimes um, when people see you for the first time, they tell you something about yourself that you forgot about yourself that you thought was just standard and normal. And... Um, I had that one. <laughs> yes, my, my sneaky stubbornness. Uh, I told my parents I was practicing to go for um, one of those walking marathons yep. on crutches. Um, and I sent them a picture from the square in Lisbon with my friends, my crutches and <laughs> my backpack. So I went walking somewhere. <laughs> and my father said this. I didn't make sense. February. <laughs> He was thinking nine makes of Vidax, and it's like well, one of these walking things that's in the summer holiday. In February, I don't know of any. And um, but I, yeah, I just it's. I think it's nice that you then get the positive energy of meeting people that think it's a good thing that you're going out into the world with a disability. And where I lived, yeah. I always heard it was wrong that I did that. And when I travel, and the different people I meet with different disabilities. It gives me energy to, to see that other people are thriving in it or exchanging information of the favorite restaurants or favorite village to visit or country. Uh, yeah, I just I just enjoy figuring out like other people's favorite spots and yeah, best food, cocktail. No, I, I, I get that. <laughs> I think as well, like the, dif the difference between us two, I suppose, is being based in, I suppose, a little bit more central in the UK. I didn't necessarily have that like well obviously you're always gonna have the people saying you can't do you can't do these things, you can't do this, can't do that. But then I knew obviously the more I've got into the cyber community, I knew that the people were out there. So for me I didn't have that as much drilled into me of um you can't do this, you can't do that. Or like you say, I didn't have the oh, you're not disabled enough because I kind of fit the perfect stereotype of a disabled person because I was the guy in the wheelchair. So it's interesting to hear how different mm. your journey's been. And like, I think people often think traveling with a disability is more complicated than it actually is. Yes, it takes a far lot, a far, far more planning than if you were say able-bodied, but it's definitely possible. And that's something that I'd always say is like, there's always a way and it's about as as we've said before it's about finding a way that works for you and also like we've said with the um festivals not expecting people to get it perfect first time when you go to hotels they're not going to be perfect it's it's the only place in the world that's going to be perfect really in any ideal sense of the world word is going to be where you live because you are there all the time and you are able to articulate what you need you can't expect somewhere else to have that same level of support that you have at home. And I think that's the really tricky thing when it comes to travel. 
And my best piece of advice would be just go go with the flow as much as you can and also don't expect everything to be perfect would probably be my advice. But I don't know what you think on that. Yeah, no, I think you have to go with an open mind, I think, and know that you have to adapt to a certain extent. Um, And I think for me, it's been like a roller coaster up and down because so I've had my disability longer than I'm more than half my life. Yeah, so 20 years nearly. Um, Yeah. But most of those 20 years, 18, 17 to 18 years of that time, doctors kept on telling me, oh, don't worry, we're going to fix it, we're going to fix it. So I I was also always going past my body's limit, always racing. I, I, I accepted my walking stick and everything that was there, but I was always told it was like a short-term thing for even i know it sounds insane for nearly for 20 years that you're still thinking like they kept on telling you yeah it's a short-term thing but then your mindset is a a little bit um that you take it i i I paused a lot of things that i was like oh i'll do that later when when it's fixed or when i when i'm better um fully better and um, and then a lot of the time i was like no i'm not i'm gonna do yeah, so it was a lot of going up and down. And then because then I finally accepted it and then I needed another surgery and then you go back to zero. And it was a lot of going back and forth. Um, so I think in that way, because I've my disability has had so many different forms, I've had to adapt a lot in, in different ways. But I think in the end, yeah, it became my superpower, I guess, in a way, because... I've experienced it walking. I experienced it with a rollator, crutches, brace. I've even woken up paralyzed multiple times in in my life that I couldn't move my legs both sides for for weeks or for days out of random. So I've had a lot of all the different part-time disabilities. (laughs) But um, in that, I I guess has given me a lot has given me a lot of insight in different levels of mobility disabilities and and that is why i i try and give advice to all the levels that i've experienced and then for the ones that i don't know i ask or refer them to other people that i do know like i've never been in an electric wheelchair so i rather if they want to have point of view of that i rather bring somebody along in an electric wheelchair but i'll only do that if i know it's already to the level of an of a manual wheelchair because you don't yeah you don't really want to disappoint yeah yeah no i think it's 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 that whole thing of like it's what you're used to and like you say i want to get to a place where we refer to others a lot more than what we do now like it's that common argument of people who are comfortable talking about their disability versus people that aren't and we don't utilize yeah work together yeah we don't utilize communicating with each other to say look, I'm not comfortable, but this person is, and they'll they'll teach you or speak to you on everything that you want to find out. And I think that's something that we need to get to as a community is allowing, it's again, allowing people to make mistakes and allowing people to get the information in a comfortable <laughs> environment. And I mean, that's what NQPC has always been about. It's always been about bringing it in and making it, accessible to everyone and making it so that it's not this taboo subject that no one's allowed to talk about but then it's also coming back to people accepting that you 
the only people that are experts on their disabilities are people with disabilities and that's a that's another another big yeah, issue and I, I think, think- I enjoy working together, you know, with with other people, with other disabled people. So I also think we should sometimes it's a pity that they're like, oh, we only need one person for everything or, you know, I don't want to work with other people. And I I actually enjoy working together sometimes, you know, I don't mind working by myself, but I do enjoy it because you can bounce off ideas, but also I'm not going to know everything. And like I said, I can't, I know friends in electric wheelchair. So what they have taught me, of course, I'll pass on. But if you really want to know that level, I rather have you ask somebody who's in electric wheelchair. And also something else that I've, I've realized, and I don't know if you've ever had to experience this, but I, lo- I love live music concerts. And I always yep. guide a guy that's visually impaired. And we always make the joke like blind leading the blind. I'm with me with my walking stick. And um, yeah. but we always get the question like, how can you guys help each other? You both have a disability. And I think, you know, that's also possible. So sometimes I also want that stigma to change of um, disabled people can't go out somewhere together. Uh, yeah. You, yeah, that we can't help each other. And I, I would, yeah, with Amberlint user, and I think that's why I also did kind of sh- start my page. I had guilt with that for a while that I would never book the uh, the wheelchair platform because I thought, you know, there are people that are now worse off than, than I am, yeah, that I was taught that way. And, um, but from, it was, sometimes it, w- it was really difficult. I felt like we have a Dutch saying between uh, the ship wall and the wall that I was stuck in between because I wasn't disabled enough and I wasn't, yeah, yeah. fully so the version, walkable The British enough. version of that saying is you were between a rock and a hard place is the British version or the English English version, I suppose. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think and I would it. have loved to have seen like more younger and in general with all disabilities, I would love to see on TV and in advertisement more younger people because the thing that I I heard the most and I still hear is you're too young to have this you can't have this at your age uh, or you don't look disabled is also one they like to say but I mean the age thing I think is the biggest of all because and I and then I think it's not fully people's fault because look at the advertisements they always have gray-haired people so yeah, if we would yeah. finally filter us into the advertisements of the product, so you see somebody my age walking with a rollator in the advertisements on TV, then people won't stare as much because they see it regularly on TV or in advertisements as well. I think because they don't even see anything different in advertisements, of course they're going to be like her. Yeah. You know, so I, yeah. I realize I can't fully be pissed off at people when they stare because it's not always fully their fault it just depends if you yeah. change your mindset after that <laughs> it, it's that big thing of people need to be willing to learn and people need to who we need to give them the tools to be able to learn like you say if if you're constantly drilling that old people are the only ones that are in wheelchairs or like a person in a wheelchair can't be fashionable or a person with a walking stick can't be fashionable or someone who's disabled has to be a wheelchair user or someone who's disabled has to be someone on crutches get we need to get away from the stereotypes but then also i think in some ways we need to lean back into them because it's too much information at once for a lot of people like Mm. if you try to educate someone on 
cerebral palsy, autism, neurodiversity, ADHD, all, and all the different types of disabilities. It's almost too much information at once. And it's about getting, giving people a base level of knowledge just so their understanding's there. So then when they meet someone and they want to learn more about a certain topic, they they but, are a lot more open to it. But can't you then, isn't then... Um explaining different mobility devices already away because then because a lot of different disabilities use maybe the same mobility device so if you already explain like how what kind of access people have for that specific mobility device wouldn't that already be a step in without explaining all the groups around it yet i think i think the difficulty with that is you gotta go with people's interests so like it mm. got to go with what interests people and what what's going to make them tick. And a lot of the time, these conversations happen in like bars and restaurants and meeting people out in public. And it's tricky to navigate what the best way to do it is. I think it all comes back to what we've been saying throughout this episode of allowing people to make mistakes because I think that's one of the biggest bug uh, biggest challenges we've got with the able bodied community is that they're always terrified of making a mistake because they feel like we're going to shout at them, scream at them, give them a court case. It's, it's, it's a bit of a minefield. And I think sometimes they're just uncomfortable because we confront them with yeah. some truths sometimes. very. It's, <laughs> it's confronting people with truths and it's also confronting them with something they don't know. Not many people like being the idiot in the room when actually that's probably the strongest mm. place to be because that way you learn something new and you go away a much different person. But yeah, that's he a very... In- questions. <laughs> yeah, it's a very... In- that's a very inspirational quote bit there. But um, I'm just conscious <laughs> on time, so I'm going to hit you with the last question, which is what's okay. one piece of politically correctness that you really strongly agree with or disagree with? Uh, well, I think the one I heard the most during my study years was uh, because you have a disability, you should stay close to home. I think they rather meant within 15 minutes drive or half an hour, not further than that. Um, or yeah. like the saying we have, you know, uh, they want you to sit behind the window, behind the flowers at home, you know, and that's your life when you have a disability. I yeah. strongly disagree. <laughs> I think, you know, we as disabled people can still get out there and there's always a way to adapt. And I think if you don't know, I personally think Instagram is an amazing place to meet different people, different disabilities within the disability community, because people are very open with answering questions and sharing their honest experience. We don't Photoshop everything. You know, if we have a shit day, we say we have a shit day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can ask about it. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I think that's also where I'll come back to what to use when you have chronic pain is um, what I used to do is Epsom salt in a hot bath because it would relax your muscles and uh, you would have less pain. Thank you. I mean, that's really good advice as well. Like, I think that is something that we do need to work on. The fact that, like, all disabled people almost need to stay at home, not allowed out, not allowed to do anything. And I think that's something that both me and you do quite a lot of, of showing that young people have disabilities and young people want to live quote unquote normal lives um and Mm. yeah i mean you're doing a lot of stuff in that space and on that note where can people find you if they want to follow you and and message you and get in contact with you 
So on Instagram, it would be stick with Chloe. And otherwise, you can also look at Disability Travel Diaries. So that's also a communi uh, community where we share information, uh, where you can also hire us if you want to be assessed or have content created of your accessible location or have us speak about the topic <laughs> or educate your staff. I realize that that's apparently also something that a lot of things I thought were simple are very new to people without disabilities. But what I would say, yeah. if you want to travel and you, you're too scared and you have never done it before, you can also start with a train ride to your nearest city or going by yourself to a cafe. You know, it doesn't need to be another country. You know, you can start small because um, that's something that somebody once said to me. And I said, like, try the train if that is if that's already a fear of yours or you want to see how can yeah. you do that by yourself you know it doesn't always have to be the plane you can start with a train or a bus or you know and then slowly yeah. gradually get your confidence in that way and really if you want to know anything about a country or an app or you're going to go to any city or country send me a message and i'll and i'll let you know if i've been there and if not i'll ask somebody and send them through to you so that you can ask that person i really love those questions so <laughs> now it's one of chloe's very she's very good at redirecting you to someone who does know if she doesn't know she it's one of her secret talents and um but thank you so much for coming on i know we've had our fair share of uh, issues on this episode but um thank you so much for coming on and we will speak again soon yeah, thank you for having me. Have a lovely day. <laughs> thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Not Quite Podcast. Please make sure you follow us on TikTok and Instagram to get regular updates about the podcast. Dance, make it hurt.